SBS, a world of difference. You're with NITV Radio, on mobile, online and on radio. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land NITV Radio broadcasts from, the Camaragal people and their elders past and present. We also acknowledge all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander tribes and clans we broadcast to, from the mountains to the plains, from the desert to the sea, from fresh water to salt water. Yiridamarang, I'm your host Luana Grant and welcome to NITV Radio for this Friday the 18th of August. Coming up on the show today, NITV Radio chats to Doug Watkin, the director of Rebel with a Cause at the 2023 Melbourne International Film Festival as it made its premiere last week. Also coming up on today's show, NITV Radio chats to Bundjalung woman, Chef Mindy Woods, who'll be featuring in the new SBS series, Great Australian Walks with Julia Zamiro. And we also catch up with artist Marie Clark, who features in the Between Waves 2023 Yalingwa exhibition. All these stories and more coming to you after the latest news. Australia Day 1972 saw the first Aboriginal embassy directed outside Parliament. The native title legislation must be amended. And they've walked this land so many times before anybody came. I am sorry. In this bulletin, the Law Society of New South Wales throws its support for a proposal to enshrine an Indigenous voice in the Australian Constitution. Prime Minister Anthony Albanese says creation of a voice to parliament advisory body would help get better outcomes for Indigenous Australians. And in rugby, Wallabies boss Eddie Jones confirms attack coach Brad Davis has quit the team ahead of the Rugby World Cup. The Law Society of New South Wales has thrown its support behind the proposal to enshrine an Indigenous voice in the Australian Constitution. It comes amid a yes and no haggle amongst leaders to give a voice to First Nations people in Parliament and a push for more details on the voice. The Law Society believes the voice to Parliament represents a clear and historic opportunity to enshrine in the Constitution a formal framework for giving voice to a just and accessible legal system. Cassandra Banks is the president of the body. The Council of the Law Society supports respectful and courteous debate about the voice referendum. The proposed amendment to the Constitution is a modest one, leaving the Parliament with power to design the voice and how it will work. This approach will enable the voice to evolve and improve over time so it can better respond to the issues of the day. And we're being asked to vote for the power, not for the details. Prime Minister Anthony Albanese has told Labor's national conference in Brisbane the Indigenous Voice to Parliament referendum will see the party deliver on one of its key commitments. Mr Albanese says the creation of a Voice to Parliament advisory body would help get better outcomes for Indigenous Australians. Our commitment to recognise and celebrate the oldest continuous culture on earth, our commitment to listen to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people so we get better results in health and housing and education and jobs, so we close the gap 
between Indigenous and non-Indigenous Australians. Our commitment to a voice enshrined in Australia's constitution. Let's get this done together. Charities have welcomed the Albanese government's measures to ease the housing crisis, but say further reform is needed to relieve the pressure on vulnerable Australians. It comes after Prime Minister Anthony Albanese decided in National Cabinet on Wednesday to raise the national housing objective to 1.2 million dwellings, a 200,000 dwelling increase. States and territories will receive $15,000 for each new home they construct as part of a $3 billion government funding package for 200,000 new homes. Mr Albanese also set a 2024 start date for a program that will allow 40,000 low-income families to purchase a home. However, the National Council of Charity, St Vincent de Paul, believes that more needs to be done to alleviate the situation and ease the burden of charities. Leading koala conservation groups are calling for immediate government action to protect the species in the lead-up to Save the Koala Month in September. A 2020 inquiry found that koalas will no longer exist in New South Wales by 2050 unless there is urgent action to address problems like habitat loss, disease and climate events in recent years. Experts say the number of koalas in New South Wales and Queensland halved between the years 2000 and 2020. While the Australian Koala Foundation says there are currently less than 60,000 koalas remaining in the wild. Jackie Mumford, the Chief Executive of the Nature Conservation Council of New South Wales, is calling on Australians to demand their local politicians do more to save the iconic animals. It's an international embarrassment that the government in Australia is allowing a species as iconic as the koala to head towards extinction, but that is the reality. We're continuing to cut down their homes. We are continuing to drive habitat destruction, which is what is really pushing koalas to the brink. That's the reality of the situation that we are in at the moment. And I would really encourage uh, everyone to get in touch with your local members at a state and federal level uh, and push them to do better to protect koala habitat. Residents of the capital of Canada's Northwest Territories are fleeing and approaching wildfire in long convoys, while fire crews on battle to prevent wildfires from spreading. It is believed to be Canada's worst fire season on record. The fire was within 16 kilometres of the northern edge of Yellowknife and residents of the city of 20,000 at high risk were ordered to evacuate. Minister of Forest Bruce Ralston sends his condolences to those impacted by the fire. The top priority is always to protect people's lives and property. Yet we know these fires can start quickly and act unpredictably in these conditions. So we are urging people to stay aware of the fire, wildfire situation in their area, to take precautions, and to report fires when they see them. Legendary British talk show host Sir Michael Parkinson is being remembered as a broadcasting giant after his death at the age of 88. His family released a statement saying he passed away peacefully at home after a brief illness. His career spanned seven decades in newspapers, radio and television, and he interviewed some of the world's biggest names on his show, Parkinson. The late journalist was fond of spending time in Australia and did local versions of his chat show with prominent Australian guests, such as former Prime Minister Bob Hawke. The form's like a playboy. I have no moments. 
And one of his other regular Australian guests was the late Dame Edna Everidge, who once revealed she'd only had a little cosmetic surgery. So, but you, you've resisted the temptation so far. Oh, very you, much. You have. I have just a little tightening here and there. <laughs> no way you can see. No. Um. Melbourne's Federation Square will not broadcast the remaining games of the Women's World Cup after flares were let off at the Matildas semi-final against England on Wednesday. More than 50 flares were set off in a full-capacity crowd, which included families with young children. Victorian police have since handed out fines of more than $960 to four males aged between 16 and 23 for possessing flares and cautioned another 16-year-old boy for throwing a flare. And in rugby, Australia boss Eddie Jones has confirmed that attack coach Brad Davis has quit as the Wallabies prepare to fly out for the Rugby World Cup in France next month. Jones, whose team is winless in four tests since replacing Dave Rennie in January, told journalists that there is a potential candidate to replace Davis. Davis's resignation follows scrutiny of Jones's shock selection choices, including dumping longtime captain Michael Hooper and veteran playmaker Quade Cooper, who has refused to answer any phone calls from the veteran coach. At a press conference, which he described as the worst he had experienced in his many years in world rugby, Jones turned on reporters, saying the team is determined to prove its critics wrong. Now, I know what's wrong with Australian rugby. And part of you blokes are the problem, because you're so bloody negative about everything. OK, so we're going off to the World Cup, you think we can't win. You think the selection process is bad, because the players can play. So I apologise for that. So we'll go out there and do our best, boys. And now for a look at today's weather. Perth, partly cloudy, 20. Adelaide, showers easing, 14. Melbourne, showers, 12. Hobart, a shower or two, 13. Aubrey-Wodonga, showers easing 12. Canberra, showers easing 11. Wollongong, a shower or two, windy 17. Sydney, 19. Newcastle, a shower or two, windy 21. Brisbane, partly cloudy 27. Townsville, mostly sunny 28. Cairns, sunny 29. Alice Springs, sunny 22. Darwin, mostly sunny 32. And the Torres Strait Islands, mostly sunny 32. And that is NITV Radio News. NITV Radio, Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 1pm or anytime online. Your community, your conversation. NITV Radio. Welcome back. You're listening to NITV Radio. Still to come on the show, NITV Radio chats to Doug Watkin, the director of Rebel with a Cause, at the 2023 Melbourne International Film Festival as it made its premiere last week. And NITV Radio chats to Bundjalung woman Mindy Woods, who'll be featuring in the new SBS series Great Australian Walks with Julia Zamiro. But first, Between Waves 2023 Yalingwa exhibition is the third edition of the Yalingwa series, devoted to highlighting the significance of First Nations contemporary art practice of the South East within a national context. Over the last few weeks, we have shared stories and interviews with a few of the artists featured in the exhibition, as well as an interview with Jessica Clark, the curator of Between Waves.
Today, we catch up with Marie Clark, an established artist and a pivotal figure in the reclamation of South East Australian Aboriginal art practices. For the exhibition Between Waves, Marie showcases a new photographic series. NITV Radio's Bertrand Tungandami has more. Mary Clark is a pivotal figure in the reclamation of Southeastern Australian Aboriginal art and cultural practices and has a passion for reviving and sharing elements of Aboriginal culture that were lost or laying dormant over the period of colonisation. Marie is also a leader in nurturing the diversity of contemporary Southeast Aboriginal artists. And I'm happy to say Marie Clark has just joined us on NITV Radio to explore a new exhibition Between Waves Yelling War 2023, in which her artwork is also featured. Marie, welcome to NITV Radio. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation. Great to be here. You're one of the artists featured in uh, Between Waves Yelling War 2023 an exhibition that celebrates artists and curators from Southeast Australia. Now, tell us about your entry in this event at the Australian Centre for Contemporary Art, uh, ACA. When I was thinking about the artwork and thinking about the site where ACA is situated, that used to be a wetlands back in the day. And I imagined there would have been lots of river reeds there. So um, between Jessica Clark the curator of the exhibition and myself, discovered the histology department at Melbourne University. I'd been going in there two days a week for the last few months looking at the river reeds under a microscope and it just created all these other new worlds. It was absolutely beautiful. So at the centre of your artwork is the location where Aka is located, an area whose ecosystem pre-colonisation featured wetlands with uh, native plants, commonly known as river reeds. And now the area has been completely transformed, let's say turned upside down. And that's what your artwork is aiming to reveal. Yeah, absolutely. And when you, you see these microscopic images of the river reeds, some of them look like maps of country, some of the cells of the the river reeds, they just look absolutely spectacular. And some look like central desert paintings. I think people would be surprised. And besides being on display at uh, Aka, your artwork will also be on display at Federation Square as well. Yeah, at um, Federation Square on the big screen. So I think every evening the artworks will be projected onto the big screen so people who can't make it down to Aka will be able to um, to see the microscopic river reeds. What was your inspiration in creating this artwork? I wanted to do something around river reeds and I'd been in a, a previous exhibition at Acker where I'd shown like three super-sized 50-metre river reed necklaces, but I've always wondered what they would look like under the microscope. So being introduced to the histology department at Melbourne University just opened up a whole new world. And to see these on that microscopic level and, you know, it's just it's just so incredible. And I've since taken those images and created really large glass, marini glass river reeds 
because just recently I've just had two glass artist residencies in the US. When I showed them my microscopic images, they said that they would look fantastic in Marini glass. So they introduced me to Marini glass and now I've made these supersized glass river reeds, which look absolutely beautiful too. Being a multidisciplinary artist, you could have chosen any other form of practice that uh, fits into the brief of this exhibition. I've been working with river reeds for like many, many years and I've not only been working with the organic river reeds, I've also had them fabricated in glass, like Canberra Glass Work have fabricated some glass river reeds for me um, and glass seed pods where I've made 10-metre glass river reeds, the 50-metre organic river reeds, and I've done a mixture of organic and glass. And now, to me, it just makes sense to delve deeper into the river reed and see what else is there. I've called the piece Now You See Me Seeing the Invisible because people don't get to see the inside of the river reed on that microscopic level. And now this is not your first uh, iteration, Uh, now you see me seeing the invisible. It's actually your second one. Yeah, well, there's one at Acre and one at Federation Square. Yeah, just a reminder, Federation Square is best known as a civic space where people go for events and so on. But for First Nations people and uh, putting it in a historical perspective, it's much, much more than just a civic space. And also... Um, for Bunrong people, like river reeds were given, river reed necklaces were given to people passing through country as a sign of safe passage and friendship. So for the opening on Saturday, I've had family and friends around home helping me put together 300 little bags of river reeds and thread so people can take these bags away and create their own little river reed necklace. Yeah, and uh, Fed Square is also a place of ceremony. It used to be a place of ceremony. Well, that, that's yeah. the, the site of um, one of the first Tandarums that had happened in the city of Melbourne for quite some time. And I worked with the five clans of the Kulin Nation a few years ago to make five possum skin cloaks for the elders to wear for the opening ceremony of that first Tandarum. I think that went on for something like five years, and I'm not sure if if they're still doing it. But I was helping the different groups make the possum skin cloaks, body adornments. Yeah, and Fed Square and the banks of the Birarong River, extending all the way to the place where Aka is currently located, had a very important cultural significance. And uh, the place has now been completely transformed through the process of colonisation. How do you depict that in your artwork? Well, I just like to also think about when I'm I'm making artwork, you know, it depends on what it is. But for people to, to think about what was there before, when you think about Acre and there's sort of some grassy area across the road, but there's also the freeway, there's you know, Sturt Street, it's all sort of a little bit barren down there now. But previous to that, it would have been a beautiful wetlands. Just try and have a take a little moment to, to have a think about what was. 
Yeah, telling and showing how the place looked like before it was totally turned upside down must have involved a lot of archival and uh, historical research. Yeah, and it's sort of a matter of, say, going to public records office of Victoria and looking at the old maps and seeing the early maps of Melbourne and all the different wetlands that were around and the creeks and waterways, like there were massive amounts. And that's probably why Melbourne, you know, when we have those big storms, like there's a lot of areas where that water naturally goes, which would have been the the old creeks and waterways. And, yeah, I, I think it's it's great Mother Nature's sort of reclaiming. But then... Yeah, if people just stop and take pause and slow down and just have a think about what was here, yeah. that would be really nice. Now, you're renowned for your open collaborative approach to cultural practices and uh, you work consistently in intergenerational collaboration to revive dormant cultural knowledge and uh, the use of technology to bring new audiences to contemporary Southeastern Aboriginal art. Can you tell us how this is reflected in your current artwork featured in uh, Yalingua 2023? You know, I think using the microscope, even even learning about histology, I'd never heard that word before. I'd never been into the histology department at Melbourne University. You know, been involved with different projects with Melbourne Uni for years and one that I'm currently working on that we've been working on for years is the living art of the archive of living art, um, Aboriginal art. And basically we document everything that I make and create and with those collaborations in mind and all the different artworks that we make here in, in my backyard in Yarraville. And, you know, I've had hundreds of people through my house helping make and create all the different types of works that I do. And because it's like there's not any one thing that I make by myself. Sometimes I need to create a whole set design to create a photographic hologram or I'm creating 3D photographs or the 50-metre river reed necklaces. But then going into the histology department um, two days a week for nearly two months, yeah. That's where I sat and just totally concentrated on the river reeds. And, you know, Chris and Laura had just done this incredible job of, you know, slicing the river reeds to 200th of a millimetre for me to have a look at the different cross sections of the river reeds under the microscope. Wow. And using the polarizer to change the colours or seeing different things and changing the lens to see what you could see. Um, yeah, it was pretty incredible. And I hope to go back and do more, you know, because there's so many other things that I use, like the kangaroo teeth, echidna quills, quandong seeds. And to see all of those under a microscope would be incredible too. So you never know. There's more to come. Marie Clark, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us today about uh, your artwork uh, featured in uh, In Between Waves, Yelingwa 2023, currently on display at uh, ACA, the Australian Centre for Contemporary Art. No worries. Thank Thanks. you. 
Join the conversation on radio, online and mobile. You're with NITV Radio. NITV Radio, on radio, online and mobile. Welcome back. I'm your host, Luana Grant, and you're listening to NITV Radio. Coming up next, a yarn with Bundjalung woman Mindy Woods. You may have heard of her when she was a former contestant on season four of MasterChef back in 2012. More recently, Mindy will be featuring in the new SBS series Great Australian Walks with Julia Zamiro. Throughout the 10 episodes, Julia will embark on 10 of Australia's greatest day walks around New South Wales, ACT, Victoria and Tassie. I caught up with Mindy to chat about her involvement on the show and we delve into her passion for cooking and showcasing native ingredients and cuisine to the world. I'm pleased to be joined today by Mindy Woods, who is part of the new SBS series Great Australian Walks with Julia Zamiro. Thanks so much for coming on NITV Radio today. Firstly, as I mentioned, you feature in the new SBS series The Great Australian Walks with Julia Zamiro, where throughout the 10 episodes, the audience is taken on adventures as Julia embarks on 10 of Australia's greatest walks. Can you tell us a little bit more about it and your involvement? Yeah, it was such an exciting program to be part of. It's about time we had a beautiful travel program that really does kind of showcase our beautiful nation. You featured on episode eight um, when Julia visits uh, Byron Bay. Can you tell us a little bit more about your involvement in the show and how it came to be that you were on the show? Yeah, it was so beautiful to be approached by SBS to be part of Great Australian Walks with Julia and to give people a real taste of what Bundjalung's country and Byron Bay is really about, you know, especially through that cultural lens. They reached out to me because I've got a beautiful little First Nations restaurant up there called Kakala. And I think they really wanted to get a real, you know, taste of country when they came up to town. And Julia explores the Indigenous history of the areas that she's visiting. And there are a number of familiar faces featuring in each episode, such as actress Tasma Walton, David King. I know Gwenda Stanley also features in one of the episodes. Um, and they share stories about culture and country. What did you love the most about being able to share your culture and knowledge from your country? Oh, I just think the thing is when they can't, people come up, they travel up to Byron Bay, they can get these trendy hip little beach town but of course it's got a rich ancient history that's been there for thousands of years before Byron Bay existed you know we call Byron Bay Cavern Bar which traditionally means meeting place and we have got such a rich culture there native food culture you know our First Nations people there that are still living there to this day and to actually look at Byron Bay through a cultural lens and see what rich history is actually there beyond the beautiful beaches and the bikinis that everybody's wear. wears. It was just really beautiful to be able to show that. And what did you and Julia get up to on that episode? Yeah, Julia and I walked along those beautiful main beaches. I showed us some of the beautiful native food that grows on the eastern coastline there. Of course, Kakala, we picked up pig face Kakala, and I told her, you know, the story about the first time I picked it with my nan, Margie Felton, and how that was the first time I fell in love with native food and how important native food is not just for mob but for all Australians to look after, to protect and to celebrate. And 
In 2012, you were a contestant on season four of MasterChef and came fourth. What was that experience like for you to be involved in a show like that? It's obviously very different to Great Australian Walks. So what was that experience like? Oh, being part of MasterChef is a pretty wild ride, (laughs) you know what I mean? You don't really know what to expect Mm. and it was an incredible experience because I'm such a lover of food. I actually went back last year and did the fans and favourite season as well and that's where I got an opportunity to really showcase what our beautiful native food is all about because back when I did it originally in 2012, native food wasn't really accessible, you know, to a lot of us. It wasn't accessible to mob, it wasn't accessible to the general public but there's been this real resurgence and a real desire to learn more at the moment, which means it's become a lot more accessible. So to be able to represent culture through food was something really special. And what made you audition for MasterChef? How did that all like come about? Oh, my, my, my mob dubbed me in. I would have <laughs> never have applied. You know what family's like when they yeah. know that you love, you know, feeding people and you love cooking up. They snuck behind my back and filled in an application for me. And the oh, next no. thing you knew, <laughs> I was getting contacted by the production company to come in for an audition. So I'm really happy I did it. And I really encourage anyone that loves food and loves to talk about their story to, to give it a go because far out, we've got a lot to be proud of as a culture and we've got a lot to showcase with native food and I'd love to see more First Nations people on there. Yeah, and can you tell us a little bit about your beautiful restaurant, Kakala, that you mentioned before uh, that's in Byron Bay and what do you love the most about owning your own restaurant? Oh, I feel so proud to be able to showcase our beautiful native food. People don't realise that we've got 6,500 ingredients that are unique to this country and I really try and source food locally and seasonally according to our cultural and seasonal calendars. So what I showcase up there is food that my community has been eating for thousands of years, that our old people showed us that it wasn't just food, it was medicine, it, there were cultural tools, there was so much more to our food and our ingredients than just being a food. And to be able to show that and to be able to connect people with our culture through our food is something so special. It's really hard work. Like owning a restaurant is like not easy. (laughs) I would say go into it with caution for anyone that's thinking about doing it. But to be able to see people's expressions when they're trying our flavors and enjoying our foods and understanding that important cultural connection that exists between our ingredients and our culture is something that I'm really, really proud and privileged to do. And where do you draw your inspiration from when you're cooking and creating dishes for your menu? And what are also some of your favourite ingredients to use when you are cooking? I mean, country gives you the inspiration. I mean, I just have to walk out on country and the inspiration's right there. I mean, a lot of the stuff that I serve at Kakala is actually sourced, you know, from country. I grow it in my own backyard or mm. might be down the beach, you know, getting the yogurt, getting the pippy, and that's where I really get the inspiration. The flavours of our food is so unique, and we just think of, you know, conjuring up those experiences of when we were little and we are down on the beach with our nan and we are cooking up a feed. That's what I try and recreate, and I just try and do it in a bit more of a flash and modern way, you know, so... You know, I do love the coastal seafood. I do love all those beautiful coastal succulents. I love all the myrtles that we get to play with. So anise myrtle and cinnamon myrtle and lemon myrtle, you know, they are such a beautiful native spice. They're so much deadlier than the introduced spices that we have. And to be able to kind of really highlight those flavors and cook with things that come from country, it's just really special. And I read that you'll soon be launching your own native food line a little later this year. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? 
Yeah, I mean, the idea about launching our own native food line is to try and make our native food more accessible for the everyday consumer. There's such a desire for people to be able to experience native food and they shouldn't just be in the flash restaurants, you know, the high-end restaurants. They need to be in our backyards. They need to be in our home kitchens. I'd love to see all Australians embrace these beautiful native ingredients because I think that native food is going to be really important for the reconciliation of our country. And lastly, just bringing it back to Great Australian Walks with Julia Zamiro, what was your favourite part about being on the show? You know what, my favourite part about being on the show was just being able to walk out on our beautiful beaches on country with Julia and to see her face and to see her heart so full of pride and interest when we're talking about country. There's a real listening out there at the moment for our stories and for our culture. And I'm just so grateful I got the opportunity to spend that time with Julia and for her to really take on what beautiful Bunjalung Jagoon is all about. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Mindy. It's been such a pleasure, a pleasure sorry, to chat with you today. <laughs> and hopefully I can get uh, up to Byron Bay and visit your restaurant because it sounds amazing. Yeah, way, sister girl. Looking forward to seeing you up in Byron Bay soon. Thank you so much. Good to chat. Join the conversation on radio, online and mobile. You're with NITV Radio. Welcome back. You're listening to NITV Radio. Up next, NITV Radio's Bertrand Tungandami caught up with Doug Watkin, the director of Rebel With A Cause, at the 2023 Melbourne International Film Festival as it made its premiere. Rebel With A Cause is a four-part doco series co-commissioned by NITV, celebrating four iconic Queensland First Nations rebels who put everything on the line for change. NITV Radio's Bertrand Tungandami has more. I'm joined by uh, Doug Watkin, director of uh, Rebel with a Cause, a four-part series that's premiering at uh, the Melbourne International Film Festival. Welcome to NITV Radio, Doug. It's good to be here. Thank you. Now, Doug, uh, Rebel with a Cause uh, was co-commissioned by NITV, and it's just premiered at uh, ACME, the Australian Centre for the Moving Image, in the context of the 2023 Melbourne International Film Festival. Now, can you tell us about uh, how this uh, four-part series, uh, Rebel with a Cause, uh, came about. Okay, so I was approached by Dino um, originally uh, to be one of the directors of, um, you know, for the Neville Bonner story, and um, it was a very huge undertaking. It was very complex as well, because, you know, Neville Bonner was a complex character or whatever like that, very polarising. However, I just found it um, fascinating, and it was also, I guess, a, a challenge as well, because, you know, you know, having passed, like, you know, nearly over 25 years ago now, so, yeah, so we had to really dig in and how would you say, you know, I, I wanted to make the story like and Neville, he, you know, as a trailblazer, he was just rolling through, you know, and the whole movie plays out like almost like a road movie. <laughs> that makes sense, you know, because he was always on the road or whatever. Yeah, and this was uh, depicted very, very brilliantly in the movie because uh, Neville Bonner was not uh, a one-dimensional character and this uh, was really, really powerfully portrayed in the movie. Yeah, that's what I mean, like showing uh, a different slant or a different side of the story or particular character. I guess for Neville, I mean, look, when you do a biopic or you approach a biopic like this, you know, I I guess it's sometimes impossible because, like, you're only taking a sliver, you know, regardless of whether you have, like, an hour or or two hours to tell that story. And I guess um, with the Neville Bonner um, 
story is quite uh, unique in a way because, you know, having uh, been the first Indigenous politician, you know, back in 1951, 50 years ago, to get into Parliament House, um, and his voice still echoes to this day. As you said, Neville passed away almost 25 years ago, but being a public figure, there would be a lot of uh, archives about his public life and uh, his accomplishments. And you also consulted with his family to really portray his, uh, you know, provide a profile that's as accurate as possible. How difficult was it actually getting all this uh, content or these archives? How difficult was it accessing the archives and then synthesizing everything to make it into a four-minute episode, forty-minute episode? Yeah, I mean there was so much because, as you know, um, Neville Bonner was always in the public eye. Yeah, he was always in the media. You know, so yeah. So um, going through that, I guess, was quite challenging, and I. For us, we were just looking at, you know, what are the story threads, you know, what were, who was Neville Bonner or whatever, like, and how do you tell that story? And I guess, um, you know, his, uh, the story that we went through, it's, it's a bit like a hero's journey, you know, the rise and, you know, and the fall and then the comeback again. You know, like that. So, yeah, so it's a bit like, you know, we took some of those um, cues or, or I took some of those cues anyway um, in telling a, a compelling story. Um, about, uh, you know, uh, uh, an Indigenous person that made a significant change um, in the course of history. Yeah, definitely a change maker, but uh, you're also making a great change and uh, really breaking some new ground with this movie that uh, really depicts the life, the battles that were untold previously or unknown, and you bring this story to, to the masses. It's also an exercise in truth-telling. Yeah, definitely. I mean, because, you know, like what's happening in politics, you know, I guess, you know, today, you know, with having a voice in Parliament and, you know, even it still resonates today. You know what I mean? What Neville Bonner was actually trying to set up back then, you know, it still echoes through. A lot of people don't know that side of Neville, you know what I mean, like that, you know, as far as like, you know, uh, the formation or, you know, the, the building blocks of, you know, the, the uh, uh, lands right legislation, um, how he were putting things into practice or even even said at the towards the very end how, you know, we, we need to have an Indigenous voice in Parliament. And that was um, years back when this wasn't even uh, thought about. It wasn't even thought about, yeah. He was trailblazing. I mean, that that, that interview was like, yeah, from the 1990s. I mean, like, it was, it's it's kind of eerie. It's kind of freaky. But I guess for me, I just wanted to uh, not make Neville Bonner uh, a reflective voice, but more of an active voice, you know, like bring him back to life as if he's here today. You know, like that's it. Because a lot of the things he was saying, um, you know, uh, yeah, it just, it, it, it resonates, it, it touches. And um, I, I guess for me, um, as an Indigenous filmmaker, we're able to put our own stamp. We're able to put our own, you know, narrative to some of these stories of how we were being portrayed back then, you know, by mainly a non-Indigenous camera lens, if that made sense. And now we have a black camera lens on our, our, on our own story so we can take back the narrative. Now, Rebu with the Cause just uh, premiered at uh, the Melbourne International Film Festival this week. And it will also feature on NITV. Yes, definitely. So the premiere is happening at MIF. Um, however, it's going to have its own premiere on NITV very shortly. Now, before I let you go, any closing thoughts or maybe a final word or something we may not have, may, may not have covered you'd like to bring to the attention of our listeners? Yeah, um, I would say now um, go and watch the series. <laughs> that all four episodes of prominent, you know, like um, Black Followers. Um, that have, how would you say, moulded, changed. And also I would say that 
you know, it's still relevant today as it was, you know, and I think these histories need to be told, you know, um, shall never be forgotten. And I think us as um, Blackfellas now, it's, it's a, in the middle of a, a new exciting trend or change, um, you know, in our politics, in our society. And, um, and for us to move forward, um, we can learn from this. Doug Watkin, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us on ITV Radio. It's been a great pleasure. Thank you. on radio, online and mobile. You're with NITV Radio. And that's all we have time for on today's program. You can listen back to the show anytime online or catch any of our stories on our website at sbs.com.au. NITV Radio will be back on Monday, Wednesday and Friday next week, 1 till 2pm, with more stories from right across the country. Today we leave you with a track by Christine Arnu. I'm your host, Luana Grant, Mandongo. Have a great weekend. Hello, um, I'd like to put a request on for Lizzie Mosby. Um, a cheerio call from all I will stuff here York Island. A message, you get a haircut and get a real job. <laughs>